Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Empire Life podcast. I'm the founder of Empire Life and the host, Allison Ramsey. And at Empire Life, we are a tech and digital marketing company supporting female founders in scaling their online empires. And on this podcast, we discuss and chat about strategies, tips, and give you all the downloads about how these ladies became successful founders and their path to success. And today I'm with Jesse and Amanda. They're the founders of Typecast Heroes, and I'll hand it over to them to intro themselves a little bit more. So I'm Jesse, and at Typecast Hero, what we do is we talk about personality types. And so we talk about common problems that the types can have. We talk about how types develop. We talk about how they are wired, because our big mission is to make the world a better place by understanding ourselves and others. And we started with a research project, but we'll go more in depth about that later. And I'm Amanda. Thanks so much for the intro, Allison. We appreciate it. And thanks for having us on. We're so excited. Awesome. So I, I heard, Jesse, you were saying you've been doing a huge research project, which is initially how we connected, because I felt so passionate, especially about reaching out to you guys, because you had mentioned about my type ENTJ as being such a small portion. And that's probably why a lot of them reached out to you because then you had a lot of feedback. I was like, Oh my gosh, what if they didn't have enough feedback from my type? I need to reach out to them. So that's Mm -hmm. how, how we connected. And then you've been gathering interviews from all the types. So then you can synthesize that information to then, can you explain what the, general outcome of that will look like to improve people's experience with the MBTI type. Right. So um, this project started a long time ago. Amanda and I have been talking about it for well over a year. The research started in the beginning of this year and then it really kicked off in February. Um, So how it works is I was looking for 100 of each of the 16 types. And I take all of their answers and I analyze the patterns among their answers to look at different metacognitive abilities and different communication styles and different learning styles. And I was thinking about how this would apply to different big systems, so specifically education. Mm-hmm. So okay. for this specific data set, what we're looking for are patterns among the, ans- among the answers and We are starting, we wrapped up the interview process. We're going to be starting um, to analyze the research and then we will present all the findings on 16 episode podcast series, which will be happening by the end of the year, we promise. (laughs) That is is super exciting. My daughter recently, she took it again recently and she typed as an INTJ. And then, so from from her experience of going through Her educational process has been really insightful in my own personal experience, which is very unique to what she's experienced. I I do, I can see that there can be some patterns within each type as to how they handle or what's best for them with all the different kind of school. Like if she was in Montessori school, she doesn't want to homeschool, but I've I've looked at that before. Because I just want the, like most parents, they want the best kind of, they're, or myself, I'm always questioning what's going to be the best model for her. And luckily with traditional school, she's done really well. And, 
but not all types I'm sure do well within formal traditional schooling or public school. And I, I want to dive in too for you guys to explain a little bit more on your personal journey, both of you, how you got really interested in MBTI type, how it's benefited you, and then like your big why, what keeps you motivated to continue to research and learn about the MBTI type. You want to go first, sister? Sure. So um, I actually was pretty anti-MBTI for a very <laughs> long time. Um, and the sole reason being that every test that I took, I uh, tested actually as an ENTJ. And I just couldn't really see myself as an ENTJ. But 100% of the time, that's what I tested as. So I just didn't feel a connection to MBTI or to the personality types. And every time that I would research it, I was like, this is just not me. And I just couldn't see myself there. Um, so I guess probably about two years ago now, Jesse started looking into MBTI. Um, and I'll let her talk about her own reasons for that. And she kind of tried to get me on board. And I was like, no, 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 I'm, I don't like that. <laughs> um, and then that was when her research kind of, she dove in a little bit more to learn that it's not just these four random letters that you get from an online test. It's actual cognitive functions and the way that you make decisions and take in information around the, from the world around you. And um, once we started diving into that, it was easy to see how the online tests were uh, pretty flawed. And it just kind of took off from there. Our interest in, in the why and the how and the people and everything kind of took off. So from there, I was able to accurately type myself as an ENFP. Um, and once I found that connection within myself, I was sold on MBTI. <laughs> I just had to really feel it for myself, which makes sense. If you understand the cognitive functions, I have to feel it within myself. Um, and then as far as my why goes, uh, it's really interesting because Jesse and I are actually the opposite of each other. So we are technically called each other's shadows in MBTI land. Um, and so her reason for why is, is so, so good, but it's almost the opposite of mine. <laughs> um, so I am very much into personal growth and self-love and just really becoming the best you that you can be uh, because I think that you can make the world a better place if, if everyone wanted to be their best self the world would be a better place it's just how it would happen mm -hmm. um, and I just think that's so important and so at the end of the day I I love MBTI to understand others and to really have clear communication between myself and others but I do use it a ton for personal growth and like she said, I'm exactly the opposite. Um, it's not that I'm not interested in my own personal growth, but it is not super important to me when it comes to this kind of thing. What I want is to understand others and to help others understand themselves because so many problems arise from this really big breakdown in communication. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the world as a whole, like this was something that was we, we've covered in a couple of our videos the world is so focused towards certain types of language. So like logical language or very big on production. Like what is the outcome of this current system as it is? What, what, is, what is going to net us sometimes profit, however that looks, right? And for me, I'm very much more interested in knowledge for knowledge's sake and understanding how the world works. So I'm already oriented so differently from what I feel like is the overarching message of the world. 
And I feel like instilling that knowledge in others is a way I can give back because so many people have shared parts of their mind with me, information with me, and this is like my gift back to the world to share it. And what is your type again? I am an INFJ. INFJ, and that's the, to clarify for the audience listening, the ENFP is the mirror or the opposite of an INFJ. So it's not necessarily that they have to be exact opposite on the cognitive stack, right? So it's, they're in socionics, this is how socionics and MBTI, like they go together when you're looking at car young psychology. Mm -hmm. um, and they're two different ways of, of organizing the cognitive functions. So we're often called shadows, we're often called extinguishing functions or extinguishers because my main stack is the same as hers. We both have intuition, um, feeling, thinking, sensing, but the attitude is opposite. So like for me, I lead with introverted intuition and she leads with extroverted intuition. And when you put those two things together, they don't, they cancel each other out almost mm -hmm. because it's the same function, but the attitude is different. So my energy is very much focused inward and hers is out mm -hmm. and you can't do both at the same time. So if we're both together trying to do that, we tend to cancel each other out. Wow, that is fascinating. Is the shadow of an ENTJ INTP? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what I, I kind of remember reading that. And then I also read that that's my most compatible type. Is it, is it usually your shadow is one of the most compatible? Or maybe that's debatable, but. <laughs> it's heavily debatable. It is. Okay. Um, Amanda and I talk this a lot because I, uh, I think for personal growth purposes, it could be. Like, <laughs> I, I think that your shadow is probably your best bet at helping you grow um if that's what you're really interested in uh, because that's definitely i think you can see your us. weaknesses in that person almost mm -hmm. so uh like for instance jesse and i we've been best friends now for over a decade mm -hmm. we talk we've talked literally every, every single day. day for over <laughs> three years now wow um i mean like it's gone like beyond best friendship yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> at this point yeah um and but we're we're it's so cool to i mean like don't get me wrong there's frustrating points but but that communication and that language that we're trying to give the world to use so much of it comes from our personal experience seeing each other and how we've grown with each other mm -hmm. um, because we're able to almost see our our weaknesses in each other mm -hmm. and so we're able to really um strengthen each other and and help each other out with those situations it comes up for me a lot when people ask me about it and I, why should i be into the mbti type and usually my overarching answer is it just like with enneagram it increases your compassion towards understanding mm -hmm. the people that you love especially for my type <laughs> with empathy doesn't always come naturally so it, it has allowed me to become a lot more empathetic towards someone's difference differences or how they're thinking things through we might both come to the same outcome but the the pathway there might be completely different and that's okay and being able to step away, have a lot of compassion and empathy. What what would you guys say is it? Does it really it, this like self growth, compassion, empathy? Do you have anything to add to that? I think the other thing that I really push is um, how it could be applied to systems. So for me, um, 
I've worked in education a long time. Um, I have a master's degree in it. And so I feel like the education system, particularly with teachers who, the people who are majority teachers tend to be of certain types. And some of the things that I see is what they, they don't realize how their weaknesses are projected onto their students. Mm -hmm. And it's frustrating to me to watch and to understand that their understanding is incredibly limited of what they're willing to, of, of their understanding of the children that they are instructing. And it's frustrating for me to watch because they don't want to admit that they have like these these certain stereotypes in their mind. And this goes beyond like class right. stereotypes or gender stereotypes. This is just like internally, you know, if you are a feeler who has um, thinking as your inferior function and you've got a thinking child, a child who's a thinking dominant, it's going to be really strong if they're in high school because that's their dominant function. That's the biggest part of their personality. You're going to be projecting a lot of things onto that child that you shouldn't be. And I see it happen all the time. And so I think that understanding how these things can affect you would be really beneficial for social emotional learning. For sure. And I, I see that I'm, I'm a professor. So I have had a lot of experience with, with what you're talking about as well. And I've worked with all ages of kids at certain points in my life. And I, I definitely relate to what you're saying. And then being a parent, I, I have one child. I don't, uh, I don't want her to assume or like uh, just see it yesterday. I was talking to her about empathy and how for a lot of people it's learned and that's okay to be going, maneuvering through experiences and then realize reflecting back on it was, did I have, was I really present with that person in that experience and being aware it's okay to learn some of those, that, that some things come naturally to like, I, I'm pretty sure she's not an F. They're not, not a feeler. <laughs> Maybe she got that from me. I want her to learn those faster, of course, than I did. And to, to be okay with this is, this is maybe the first thing that comes to my mind, but I can learn other ways of handling situations too, to have more harmony, peace and love in my life. Yeah, I love that. I am. Um, I have a, a, you know, again, you'll hear this a lot, but we are almost opposite in a lot of ways. And for education for a long time, um, I had actually pulled my daughter. I, we've never done public school education. I was raised in public school and I loved it. I had a great time. I was a straight A student, did all of the band and all the things, um, very involved. But when it came to how I wanted to parent my children, I just didn't see the benefits in public school the way that I did um, and other types of schooling. So we've done private and we've done homeschool. And, um, part of that was, was almost like a judgment that I was making off of public school, just from what I saw. And I, I kept seeing it as such a limitation for my kids. And, um, obviously Jess, Jesse and I for a long time had differing opinions of that because for her education has been a massive part of her life. Like before studying education, it's, it's always been huge for her. And so then when we started really studying this and looking into it, I'm able to kind of release a lot of that judgment and say, okay, I understand why they're doing it this way. Still don't necessarily agree with it, but still understanding the why behind it, just, it's just so much easier to give that grace, you know? Mm-hmm. 
or part part of my story, I I felt some resistance, and then I I was constantly challenging the system or asking the teacher, well, why do you have this rule? Have you thought about, in my own personal way, bending the rules to adapt to myself in what the class wanted? So she might bend or compromise on the rule for our class. And another class, she is the same rule. And that was part of my experience to realize I can utilize my influence with the, the class. Like she doesn't really, she or he may not even feel like they have a choice to bend or flex, be flexible on certain rules. And then lear learning to negotiate this in, in that way that then they can expand themselves and better fit to for the for the collective of what's going to support the the class and i did have that experience quite a few times with my teachers mm -hmm. i have no idea why they listen to me and i'm like seven or eight years old but <laughs> i'm very happy that i learned that from a from a young age that you can you can have that influence or speak up for advocate for yourself mm -hmm. and at some point if you, your advocation is not working I'm not sure if advocation is a word if you're advocating for yourself and it's not working that's when I get involved for my daughter mm -hmm. for example it's like first I'm gonna encourage her this is what you can say and then you can try this and then this and then the the it's not gonna be pretty because then I'm gonna get involved <laughs> <laughs> you know then then uh not, it might be pretty but you know you know what i mean like yeah. it's it's yeah. gonna it's gonna get real it's going some it's going to happen something's gonna happen where we all compromise and negotiate if i am the last person to get mm -hmm. involved i'm i'm definitely gonna get involved and i want her to advocate for herself first yeah. It's, it's an important life skill and it kind of leads into that, you know, common misunderstandings amongst types when mm -hmm. they are using certain cognitive functions and they are interacting with each other. Um, for instance, uh, for thinkers, particularly extroverted thinkers, so that would be yourself as an ENTJ when you lead with that function, um, you've obviously done so much work on understanding extroverted feeling and being empathetic, um, but there are other ENTJs who may not feel that bent. And so when they are looking at the world and how it functions, they're coming from a place of, let's control this environment and make it the most efficient, effective environment that it possibly can be. And if they are interacting with, let's say like an extroverted feeler, who they are also interested in controlling the environment, but they're coming from a completely different orientation mm -hmm. to where they're looking at controlling the experience, the the value systems, the emotional resonance of a situation, and they're coming at it from two different places, it's very clearly going to cause conflict. If they don't understand that one is not better than the other, that they're coming from two different places. Yes, I've, I've experienced a lot of that in my life. <laughs> and learning how to maneuver through conflict and being called confrontational, manipulative, and and I'm like, that feels, and then reading a lot about ENTJs, I don't know why anyone would want to be an ENTJ after you read about it. 
I get it. I get that. <laughs> Why wouldn't she want to be an ENTJ? Well, like it, it's so based if leading into the misunderstandings, I feel it's it, like an INFJ or INTJ. I do feel like they're very much misunderstood too. But I feel, so for example, I, um, with getting to know new people, I recently started dating. I tell them, please go read about my type. And then I hear what they read about, and I'm like, oh, I need to actually send links because that's so mis <laughs> misinformation. Mm -hmm. Just on a side note, I feel like there's so much misinformation out there, and they're misinformed, or another, they've had a really bad personal experience with my type, and then so it's coming from this heated, their whole article is coming from this few experiences instead of looking at the overall picture because that's was their experience not discounting it but that doesn't mean that all of them are like that so i i would love to talk about some common misunderstandings i personally have felt that it that it, i could understand why someone wouldn't uh, feel comfortable in that or they it would take them some time to get comfortable in their skin if they read about what it what all these people are saying about anti-chase. That's a big battle that Amanda and I fight, is um, fighting that, <laughs> you'll hear us say it constantly on the channel, is behavioral stereotypes. Mm -hmm. um, and there are certain schools of thought when it comes to looking at Carl Jung psychology where they do rely primarily on behavioral stereotypes, but we don't do that. We give examples, but you will hear us, it's one of Amanda's <laughs> like repeating lines, look at the motivation, look at the motivation behind it because we're looking at the thought process not what we see so when you are interacting with the person who says all ENTJs are arrogant and cocky right like that's one of the common stereotypes or misunderstandings that you can have with an ENTJ you know that they're not looking at how the brain is wired because anyone can be cocky and arrogant and has nothing to do with cognitive functions there are tendencies that we can see but gender plays a role into that all sorts of things play into age um, to an extent, country and culture I've seen, but the wiring is very similar. So the wiring matters, and we are constantly looking at what's the motivations behind these things. Um, one of the things that we push on our channel for stereotypes is that they're not robots, right? Yeah. Yeah, all the time. Not robots, and feelers don't just wear their hearts on their sleeves right. and cry all the time. It's not what happens. <laughs> But those are the stereotypes you'll read. You'll you can see that it's it, there's so much just like these vague articles out there that probably anyone could relate to in mm -hmm. some sort of way. And it really and just like like I will forever share that story of me hating MBTI because I just didn't connect with it. It was not until I got into the details and into the actual psychology behind it that I finally saw its worth and I finally saw the accuracy behind it as well because reading everything online even for my own type that I am now I still don't connect to half of the things that are online because I'm a little weird like my the way that I use my functions are a little weird which can also take into effect like my dad was an ENTJ so I have a slightly stronger TE extroverted thinking than a normal ENFP probably would um, hence why I always test as an ENTJ but um, so even the stereotypes that are online for me, knowing the type that I am and knowing what I know, I still don't connect to half the things that are out there on the internet, which makes it really sad then when we're coming across people and they're like, oh no, I know I'm not that type because I read this website and we're like, that has nothing to do with your type. 
One of the biggest compliments I think we've ever gotten was from the ESFP video. And there was a girl, I actually walked her through the type clarification process. And so we, we came to the conclusion she's ESFP and she had that reaction. She didn't feel like she could be, she didn't relate to any of it. But she loves watching the video and she put a comment on it. I'm stretching to this video in the background just because I love the, the validation I get from your video. Um, it was a huge compliment. It really was. <laughs> I, I love great. that. Um... Uh, do you do you mind to go through each type and maybe give two to three misconceptions, even if it's funny and doesn't mean that it's a fact, right? If you're listening or uh, we're not judging, because um, believe me, I've read horrible things about my type. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's pretty hard. Yeah, sure. It's like for for sheer entertainment purposes and from things probably that you've heard other types say. I mean, I'm I think that ESFPs would be very offended by how I handle things sometimes. <laughs> For example, <laughs> I can easily rub people think that I'm being that I'm ha trying to have a conflict with them and I need to ease them like no I'm not I'm really I really don't want to debate with you believe me as uh, I'm just just throwing ideas out there doesn't mean you gotta agree mm -hmm. with me this is not a debate <laughs> you. automatically think that I'm the that's what I'm aiming to do because I'm willing mm -hmm. to express my ideas about things I'm also willing to hear out their process of how they got to their ideas without mm -hmm. taking their ideas on myself mm -hmm. and hold a space for them, which I do feel is a positive side of an ENTJ that they can listen to ideas, how they got there, their, the, that person's process, their research, and they may even change their mind at the end of the conversation mm -hmm. and say, oh, or, or I'm going to take that into consideration. I'm going to think that through. Whereas some other types I've seen, I have an ISTJ in my family, and she's more like, no, I have my ideas. I can hear it, but I'm going to, no, like I'm not, I'm not as flex, they're not as flexible. So I find that, I just find it so interesting. So actually, I think that's a good place to start. I was literally going to say the same thing. Because <laughs> um, this is one of my big, like, special pigeons, if you will. This is one of my special things in Amanda as mm -hmm. well. Um, is fighting against the bias against censors. Um, mm, in the MBTI, yes. <laughs> in the MBTI community, it's like my thing. Um, so with ISTJs, actually, we hear that a lot, you know, and some of them definitely can be. My father-in-law is one. Um, so I understand ISTJs can be seen that way for certain. But it's also robots, right? Mm -hmm. something else oh, yeah. Robots. With rules. Like Automatons, yeah. yeah. They, they want to sit and they want to be a worker drone. Yeah. And in fact, they're often compared to bees or uh, cogs in a machine. Mm -hmm. Machine, yeah. Hate it, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, there are some. That's true. It's not the big picture. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and that, and while that is true, what's important about ISTJs is that they lead with introverted sensing, right? So they, it depends on what is in their experiences. So, for instance, if they have had a experience where they are oriented more towards the picture. If they are looking at outcomes, if they are, mm -hmm. if they've been ex exposed to lots of things, mm -hmm. they can be incredibly open-minded, probably more open-minded than some of the introverted intuitives that I know. It just depends on what is in their SI. So ISTJs, there's a really beautiful young lady who's an ISTJ who I've interacted with. I walked her through type clarification. 
Um, she lives in India and she moved, or she lived in India and she now lives in the US, but she has a very like, you can see where she likes tradition, you can see where she likes the rules and she likes her routine, but there's part of her routine is a little bit of a free spirit. Mm -hmm. And so she has a little bit of this like tendency to want to go out and try new things. And almost like a, it's like a, it's like a contained butterfly. That's how I always picture her in my mind. Oh, I love it. Yes. So they don't have to be. So mm. MBTI community is really mean to them. And yes. I, don't, I, don't, I don't quite get it. But um, oh. we also, we had that comment on our Reddit page at one point too about introverted sensing and how it mm. is so traditional and everything. And mm -hmm. um, a girl commented saying that she is an SI dom, but that she travels for a living. Like she just loves to travel the world. And she's like, but that, that's also what she knows. And so for her, so SI is seen as traditional, but that doesn't necessarily mean the tradition that you grew up with. It means the tradition that that person is mm -hmm. holding. So, okay. so often I feel like SI gets um, judged based on our perception of what our tradition was. And mm -hmm. we're like, you're so close-minded or you're so whatever. That's those projections that Jesse was talking mm -hmm. about. Um, when really it's all about that person's personal experience. So SI for every single person is going to look slightly different mm -hmm. or sometimes very different. Right. And so that girl in particular was an ISFJ. Mm -hmm. So that's another stereotype that ISFJs have to deal with is that they are stuck in their routine. But also mm -hmm. something else, I think Amanda came across once that said that they were a punching bag. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or a, a mat. like Doormat. Door yeah. I've, heard, I've mm -hmm. heard that. It's horrendous. That horrifies uh, me. I, yeah. ISFJ men are very attracted to me. And I, so I've read, <laughs> I've read about it in INFJ. I've been in a lot of relationships with INTJ, INFJ, and ISFJ. And mm -hmm. I, I've read that. And I, I did notice that I could tend to dominate the conversation. And I would need to, I need to pause a little bit more because they're not going to interject and tell me what they really think sometimes, yeah. especially with ISFJ. And, and then later I'm wondering after the conversation, I don't necessarily realize it in the moment sometimes. I'm so into what I'm saying, passionate and intense about it. They're listening and holding the space, but I don't, sometimes I don't ask back. I'm just mm -hmm. waiting for them to tell me, but then they don't. And then later I realize oh, wait, they didn't tell me how they felt about that at all. Am I really getting to know them or are they just getting to know me? <laughs> yeah, that's the beauty behind the, the language again. Like, mm. again, something we say literally all the time is just, um, and obviously you have, just like Jesse said, have done a ton of personal growth mm -hmm. and study in this area, but so many people out there would be like, oh, that person's uninterested in me. And they just immediately take that in almost as like an insult mm -hmm. versus trying to meet that person where that person is at. Mm -hmm. and, and realize that maybe I wasn't being the best listener and they were being a great listener and I can be a better mm -hmm. listener, hold more space for them, ask more questions because that doesn't come naturally to them to interject in as intensely as I am interjecting. And that's mm -hmm. okay. Like they don't need to, or they're matching that in a different way. Not yes. in the exact same way. And about the, I wanted to also say I'm in an ENTJ female group now. And there's like, I don't remember how many people are there in Facebook. It's been such a game changer for me in the last few months because we, we are so, we are wired in 
extremely similar ways. It's crazy. I'm like seeing a mirror of myself and that's really refreshing because sometimes I felt like an island on my own and that I'm the only person who thinks like this, especially as a woman. And one woman commented to someone else in the group, stay away from all censors. Just don't ever talk to them about romantic relationships. Stay away from them. And I, I like that you brought that up, that it's not always like that, but it is a common misconception, misunderstanding that intuitives winning game along with censors. We're actually obsessed with experts. <laughs> we are so, and it's my eighth function. Like it's, it's like, my demon function. It's the very, very, very last one. And I'm still completely obsessed with extroverted sensing. I think it is just the coolest function. <laughs> um, so no, I call total BS on, on anyone trying to say that sensing and, and intuition are, you know, one's better than the other or anything like that. It's completely false. Right. So maybe we can talk about extroverted sensing. So extroverted sensing dominance, like ESFP or ESTPs, mm -hmm. They get a lot of the a lot of the stereotypes I see on the internet about them are that they're adrenaline junkies, mm -hmm. uh, that they're superficial, and that they can't go in depth. Well, our buddy Justin, who mm -hmm. is also a person who does MBTI, um, he goes deep all day long. All day, <laughs> all day long. long. All day. I mean, to the point where sometimes I'm like, I have to step away from this conversation for a second because I just need to like breathe, take it in, mm -hmm. and then I can come back to it. Um, but no, he is so intelligent so quick and and can go so deep he also does like adrenaline and does like people and does like to party so it's like he it doesn't have to be one or the other yeah so one of the things i say about extroverted sensing because if you look on a lot of the websites they will say that that they're kind of like superficial and like bubbly mm -hmm. and they just want to like they just want to have fun i worked uh, really closely with an esfp as well um so i have personal experience with them in addition to the research that i've done but they what I like to say is they can get deep with you and have those deep conversations, but they don't have to live there. They can come back up for air. Like they can, okay. so the predominant, like they can come back up to reality. Like they don't get stuck with these ideas that linger for days. It's like, they can do it. They can get in depth. They're really smart. They can follow you. But then they're like, okay, we're done with this now. Mm -hmm. We're going to step back and we can go on with our day. And that's amazing to me because I get stuck in places. Mm. As most intuitives do, because we're so conceptual and so in our heads and in a very abstract. abstract. Yeah. And like Essie is all about the reality and taking in what is, and that's almost foreign to us and to most intuitives. So uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. And it's such a beautiful gift that like, I, I truly can't wrap my mind around like how they see the world. I really can't like, cause I just will never experience it that way. And that to me is the coolest thing in the world. That is really right. cool. It is amazing. And mm -hmm. they're a small part of the, the population mm -hmm. as well. Um, so I think together the extroverted sensing dominance, like ESFP, ESTP together, they make up less than seven. Wow. So, and they don't have a big presence in the MBTI community. If you go looking for them, you're not going to find them. Because they're out doing stuff. It's really hard <laughs> to find them. But, but the thing is, too, that a lot of them end up feeling mm -hmm. like nobody's ever going to get them. And I've had some people on the Internet when I say things like that, they push back. And they're like, I don't care if I'm understood. Well, okay, everybody cares about it at some point yeah, in time in their life. Sure. Right? Like, you may not currently care, but eventually you could. And to me, that's one of the biggest sadnesses um, with the MBTI community is that there's not a huge place for for those populations that are also small, like mm -hmm. ISTJ, ISFJ, ISFP, ISTP, all together make up like half the world. Mm -hmm. 
So for them, even if they don't have that, if they don't necessarily have a huge presence, I feel like they're a little bit more oriented to be okay. Um, but for the ESFPs and the ESTPs are already small. And then the MBTI community is not exactly welcoming or kind to them. And that's a huge disservice. Mm -hmm. um, there was an ESFP that I talked to who was literally a professor at Harvard. And he talked about how, um, you know, a lot of people who meet him say that he can't possibly be a censor because he's a professor at Harvard and how he's had to overcome that mm -hmm. in his wow. life. Wow. We, we yeah. want to go to ESFP next. Over emotional, are they really emotional? I mean, I'm, some of the misunderstandings. Yes, so some of the misunderstandings. <laughs> the they wear their heart on their sleeve. Like, yeah, well, so ESFP would be very, just like very image uh, conscious, too. image conscious, very materialistic, very party, 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 very. Um, oh, sorry, not E. Sorry, I was thinking ISFP. Sorry. Oh, oh, oh okay. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry. So yeah, super yeah. emotional. One of the other big things on the internet is um, that they are artists always. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, one of the biggest personality podcasts out there, I'm not going to call them out by name, but they did say that all, she literally said all ISFPs are artists, like all. And I was like, what are you oh doing? Oh my gosh. Those words make us cringe. I hate it. Like yes. we, we try to be very, very, very careful intentional. intentional. Yeah. Um, because I've met many ISFPs. Um, there was an ISFP that I just his, I just did his type clarification two weeks ago, and he's in the military and he has no artistic inclination. You can be an artist, you can be an ISFP and not be an artist. Like that, I'm gonna throw that out there because that's the biggest one that I see. The biggest stereotype mm -hmm. is constantly they have to be a dancer, they have to be a painter. My sister is an ISFP and she is an artist, but she, her biggest thing is actually psychology. She studies metacognition at Georgia State University. So it's not like they can be whatever they want to be. It doesn't have to anyone be anyone can be anything, right? Which is what we say That's all the our time. Thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they don't have to be. And then also with that dominating feeling function, because ISFPs and INFPs mm -hmm. lead with introverted feeling. And so a lot of people assume, oh, poor INFPs, but we should go there next because they get a lot of a lot of okay. Concepts. Yeah, let's they go there. Yeah. <laughs> Because they have the same thing as an ISFP where introverted feeling when you lead throughout, when you go throughout the world that way, people think that you're super emotional. And what I've seen, what we've both seen, she's married to an INFP, I know several of them, um, that because they are dealing with so much emotion all the time and so much values and so much of the stuff that they do are based on gut instinct, they kind of become cold mm -hmm. and detached because they deal with it all the time. It's like if you're going hard all the time, yeah. you kind of develop this sort of numbness to it a little bit. Yeah, like yeah. persona. Mm -hmm. and, um, mm -hmm. and a lot of the INFPs I've known, if you just meet them, you would probably think they were a thinker. Mm -hmm. mm, that's fascinating. And it's interesting because, again, those, the functions being extroverted versus introverted, um, even introverted feeling, yes, it's a feeling, function. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're always showing that feeling because that's, I think also probably something we should throw out there is that feeling in, uh, within like cognitive functions does not actually mean emotion. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. stuff that makes emotion. Yeah. It's your values. So values. It's yeah. stuff that you can't logic your way through. Mm -hmm. okay. And so a lot of people just that it's very easy to group all feelers together and be like emotional crowd criers, like whatever. 100% not true. 
Mm -hmm. And again, because they deal with it so often, um, they tend to be a little bit more um, adept um, and they look for it in strange ways. So like um, my sister, music is a thing that's the way that she connects to emotions, but most of the time she spends working very analytically as an ISFP. Um, one of my INFP friends, I said this in our INFP video, that he's really into movies. So he watches the movies that are going to be like the most emotionally impactful. Like he wants that emotional hit because he deals with these things all of the time. And it's almost like that emotion has to be so intense for him to really like feel it, right? Mm -hmm. Because because he is using is feeling. That's really it. that's really fascinating. Because I've I've had that conversation before with a, a previous relationship that was INFJ, and he liked to watch really intense movies emotionally and i'm thinking i i already have enough drama in my life like i don't want any more drama <laughs> mm -hmm. i already dealt with but i don't really have that much drama and because i usually you know the extinguish it or i don't really want to be involved in in that mm -hmm. so it's like why am i going to watch that to, to that extent to that intensity it it, it was a funny conversation yeah mm -hmm. Right. So INFJs, I'll just go real quick. Um, INFJs are the hardest ones, um, since you brought them up, they're the hardest ones for me personally to give grace to because I am one. And um, a lot of the stereotypes on the internet for INFJs tend to be stupid positive, like we're gone, your Mother Teresa or Jesus. And I hate all wow. those. They're stupid. <laughs> they're just dumb and they don't make sense. Mm -hmm. And so the other, the rest of the MBTI community, I don't even, there's an, a whole Facebook group on, for, it's, what does it say? A Facebook group where we pretend to be INFJs. It's just, I'm part of it. I think it's hilarious. It's just <laughs> people making fun of INFJs because they get so stuck on their self-importance. I'm not doing this very diplomatically, so Amanda's going to tell <laughs> What are some things that INFJs, what are the, some of the negative stereotypes we deal with? So negative, so, but in that way, that is negative because what ends up happening is that you have this, and not only that, it's one of the most, Commonly mistyped. Yes. And so like, wow, so many people think that they are an INFJ because it's, it, for, for some reason, it's easy to test as an INFJ. Well, we know why. There's a whole. I know. I just don't want to go into oh, There's a lot us. of reasons why, but just. Yes. But there, we have talked about it in videos, but there are reasons why people type as INFJ more commonly than almost any other type. Wow. Um, but they're not true INFJs. And so. They read that and they hear, I'm Jesus. Right. When they run around with this Jesus complex. That's exactly Everybody what needs to follow me spiritually. I know the spiritual way. Yes. yes. Or they feel like they're, they have like this magical sense about them and they just know things out of nowhere when really it's just advanced pattern recognition mm -hmm. with your introverted intuition. That's literally what introverted intuition is and what it does. So there's a reason behind it. It's not that they're just magical. But they will go around, and at first, when we first started really researching this, we noticed that we were like, that's weird, that can't, like, people don't really think that. They really think that. Some they, people really do think they really that they can the future, yes. um, that they can, um, I don't know, I've heard all sorts of crazy mm -hmm. things um, from the, the INFJ community. Um, and, but in fact, INFJ community is the only one to ever kick us out. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> wow. Uh, that was fun. Uh, all the other 16 types have been very accepting, but not INFJs. <laughs> so INFJs, if they're out there, I understand that they feel very misunderstood very often. Um, they don't understand 
they don't understand why the rest of the world works like it does. And because they are in so introspective, I think it can be really hard for them as they you know, navigate the universe, even if they don't know they're an INFJ. It's hard because they, I did not realize the rest of the world did not think like me until I was in my 20s. And it was really hard for me because I grew up not knowing any introverted intuitive dominant at all. And so when you don't understand that you have a natural bent towards like looking for the why and looking for meaning in things that there probably isn't any sometimes mm -hmm. looking for meaning when there isn't any overanalyzing a lot you can feel like there's something really wrong with you and all types feel like there's something wrong with them but i do know that like for the true infjs out there um they feel really 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 broken mm -hmm. and yeah. that has been um so i understand where they're coming from from that aspect, but I don't, I don't buy the whole, like, if you look on, like, some of the big personality sites, like, literally, they, the first, they give you a list of people who are your type, and INFJs, it's, like, mother, it's Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, and Jesus, and I'm, like, <laughs> so I understand needing validation, but I don't understand, like, the whole, like, glorification of one type, because, like, you've got that, like, Jesus, and then you look at ISTJs, and they're, like, worker bee, like, what is this? <laughs> that is, it's just not acceptable, unacceptable, hey, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's INFJs. <laughs> um, do you want to do ENFPs real quick? <laughs> sure. I'm much kinder to my type. <laughs> <laughs> um, so ENFPs, I would say some of the, the, the biggest stereotype is that we are just bubbly and on all the time, like all about just walking into the room and like having every, all, all eyes on you, very personable, all those things. Um, and a lot of times what, what, so I would say most ENFPs, and you're probably gonna have to help me out just as I helped you out, but I'd say most ENFPs feel like there's this part of them that will just never get seen because of the mm -hmm. expectations that society has put on them as that. So, hmm. um, so like, even if you don't know you're an ENFP, right? Because the ENFPs are kind of bigger population, they're 8% or something like that. Mm -hmm. Even if people don't, they have this like beautiful, bubbly, happy persona that they carry. And after a while, and men do, not mm -hmm. just healer, I've a lot of ENF men and ENFD men that I met are kind of like this also, where they've got like this, I'm the life of the party, like I'm mm -hmm. the happy one all of the time. And after so long of, and it's because I think their functions are just naturally oriented towards optimism to an extent. They are. And like, I mean, we, we really are. It's like, we, first of all, we, we, we typically have a very good understanding of ourselves because we also have introverted feeling as our second function. So that's our introspection. That's really knowing what we value and what we want to work towards. And then your other two big assumptions are going to be extroverted intuition, which is naturally going to just kind of be fun and kind of quirky a little bit. And then you've got your third function, which is extroverted thinking, which is still searching for that positivity. It's always looking on the bright side, trying to... What can be? It can be, yeah. If in the combination of all those things, especially yes. when N, E, and T work together, it's like they're looking for a good outcome and they don't really like to take no for an answer because mm -hmm. they are so used to seeing possibilities that others can't. Yeah, it kind of so, feels like nothing is impossible. Yeah, like It really feels almost to the point that nothing is impossible. So obviously, it's a little bit easier to look on the bright side if you feel like nothing is really impossible. Um, but we also have our bad days, we have our dark days, we have like, and so what it, what it can tend to, to feel like internally is almost like we have this, this darker persona that's inside of us that we can't ever let out because we have all these expectations on us to show up as the, the, the light and the brightest one in the room, and that's exhausting. I bet, yeah. 
I, I, yeah. I could see that. It's like you're putting almost putting a lid on your true self all the time and just, just keep that down, stuff it down. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. And then you have FI as that second function and it's all about being authentic to yourself. And so you have this almost like a constant internal fight, push-pull fight mm -hmm. where it's like, I need to be myself, my, my real self, but this expectation is here. And it's not that this expectation is not the real me, but this one's kind of more me. And so you're just having that fight. Right. All the time. And it's important. I'm just going to like interject real quick. Carl, in psychology, we talk about there are three versions of yourself. So like there's the persona, your ego, and yourself, your true self. So like in all of, all that we do is all about what it has become. Project did not start this way. Like, it has gotten to this place where um, we feel really inclined to share more about how to integrate all of your parts of yourself mm -hmm. and to accept all of the parts of yourself. Um, so every person has a persona and it's not necessarily bad, but it does come to a place where you don't, the persona becomes exhausting. Yeah. And that's where we get the mm -hmm. stereotypes from. So for ENFPs, because they are so oriented towards possibility, I think that that persona becomes mm -hmm. a burden mm -hmm. and other types have different other burdens with their persona. Um, I mean, it's hard to be Jesus, right? What a mother Teresa. You can try, try right. that on. I just think it's obnoxious. I just think yeah. it's absolutely yeah, absurd. That's true. Anyways, okay, so um hey, Nectar. I was actually gonna go ENTP because that's an extroverted yeah. intuition. Mm -hmm. okay. Um, okay. So ENTP also is another type where they are seen as like they've always got the answers, they're mm -hmm. looking for possibilities all the time. Um but on the internet, the stereotypes that I see are usually that they are heartless. Yes. Like so argumentative, debated, yeah. heard that. Yeah. The keyboard warrior. Keyboard warrior, yes. yeah. Stereotype for sure. Um and they I have think, to be right. I've mm -hmm. I've things that I've heard. Mm -hmm. No, those are yeah, I've yeah. definitely heard them too. And um the ENTP group was not hostile per se. <laughs> <laughs> they were not um <laughs> All the experiences I had with the group um, were overwhelmingly positive. Like I do not want to, I'm not making fun of anybody except, I mean, so certain groups, they, there was a tendency towards certain things, but for the mm -hmm. most part, people were overwhelmingly kind. I mean, mm -hmm. I've interacted with over 4,000 people probably at this point in time. So most of them have been overwhelmingly positive. Um, but for the ENTP, anybody who thinks that they don't care what others think, and sometimes the ENTPs themselves like to push this idea that they don't care what anybody thinks. They have an extroverted feeling of third function. They care very much. They very much care <laughs> what people think. Um, extroverted feeling orients itself towards the values of others. Like you can't be an ENTP and not have that bent. Like then you're not one mm -hmm. because motivation is important right and so extroverted feeling is energy focused outward on the values of the people around you and it's their third function so unless they're doing some hardcore suppression they do not really they're not like really these heartless you know argumentative drones and i've had entps be very close friends with me who have proven that they have a huge heart mm -hmm. so that's one of my big things with the entps is that people think that they just don't care and they very much do um, so yeah, that was a big thing with them. And then INTPs also have that similar thing yeah. that they're heartless. 
um, that they're goofballs, that they're like little quirky, awkward, weirdos, awkward, yeah. <laughs> don't know how to do romance. Yeah. Um, that none of those things are true. Mm-mm. I have so many INTPs were the first group that I ever worked with. Well, no, ENTPs were the first group mm-hmm. I ever worked with. That I didn't get the same reception as the INTP group because I had all 100 within 24 hours. That's the only group I've ever had like that. What, which one is that again? INTP. INTP. I all okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I've gotten well over like hundreds of INTPs at this point in time. But, wow, um, that's great. Because yeah. I have heard out. that they're very underrepresented. In the world, yes. Mm-hmm. Online, no. No, okay. they are, they, that was really surprising. It was cool as we like went through this because it was it was kind of funny to see that like so many, um, so many expectations were just kind of like shot mm-hmm. through this project, which was great because again, it's, it's buying into the stereotypes mm-hmm. and, and we didn't know any different until this project mm-hmm. came about, but you would totally expect that that an ENTP would come out before an INTP would, you know, and that's just not what happened. But uh-huh. INTPs, they like to explore just as much as an ENTP does, but they want to do it through almost like a safety net. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. having that barrier of the internet with me for an INTP, I've known INTPs, there was one, a couple particularly who I've known in real life that I'm very close to. My brother is an INTP. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, but they um, they will do these things, but it's almost like they need a safe space for it. Mm-hmm. So the computer screen created a safe space. And so their presence on the internet is very uh, well established. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked to INTPs of all ages. I think the oldest one was 75, the youngest one was 16, and all over the world. And they, again, like that idea that they don't have, they don't care what people think. They've also got a feeling inferior, and yes, they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> they care very much what people think. Um, and, and they're really self-conscious about it. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that can come across as, you know, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what I'm, I'm right and you're wrong and everybody else is stupid because of X, Y, and Z. But yeah. it's a defense mechanism. It's and just it's putting a, projection. a wall up. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. and it's a projection. And if you know types like we do and you know Carl Jung psychology where projection is a natural human tendency, then you can almost predict how they are going to, you can almost predict the stereotypes that they're mm-hmm. going to create themselves trying to hide right. some of these inferiorities that they have. Like, I agree this. that they may seem awkward in the situation because they're trying to hide what they don't, they, they're unsure about their social skills. Mm-hmm. As I think mm-hmm. I'm coming from software and I, I have a feeling that there's a lot of INTPs in <laughs> yeah. software and I love them. I, I, get very compatible with my type and, and them and I always got to get along super well with them and I have so much respect for INTPs and INTJs. I, I, I have seen that it, we need to go beyond the surface and get to know them at mm-hmm. a deeper level before we write off, oh, they're awkward or they're this or they're XYZ. It's not fair. Mm-hmm. It's not fair at all. And awkward is a, awkward is relative, right? Of course. Yeah. I mean, I've been even been called awkward and I'm okay with that. I mean, it, everybody is awkward in their own way. Absolutely. I don't think Amanda is awkward, but I, I, I'm very awkward. <laughs> I feel like I am the most awkward. I just say that she's lying. I just own it. <laughs> she's lying. She's not awkward. She doesn't know awkward. I'm so awkward. I'm, I'm very awkward. I do not think she is, but that's okay. Cause like when we go out together, she can just like, take the lead and then I don't have to I can just be like the the quiet one so like it helps like it's helped us out when we mm-hmm. go out and do things like she it does 
And then I always know to like bring up a conversation that I know that she would want to talk about instead of just like the weather that everyone else wants to talk about. So then <laughs> I know that she'll be included and then it's like this whole group and then, yeah. So that's awesome. Which one are we going to do next? Um, let's do uh, INTJ since you mentioned it. Um, so INTJ, again, similar to the other, like ISTJ, I get a lot of robot stuff. Um, oh. and I get a lot that they can't be romantic. Okay, so they have introverted feeling as their third function. They can be super romantic, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And there's uh, some of them on the internet who I interact with um, who are very concerned, particularly as they get older, with finding, like these are people in their 40s, like 30s, like late 30s, 40s. Um, they really, really, really want to tap into that introverted feeling third function. And they want to find what makes sense to them. They want to find their place in religion. They want to find their place with love for the first time, maybe ever. Um, they really want to tap into it. And, you know, I think if you can get a person who is controlling, like controlling of the situation, but also has like this like inner um, introverted feeling third function, it can be really- INTJs are one of, INTJs and ENTJs are my like love. Like she's not married to either one I'm of them. I'm not married to either one of them. <laughs> Um, but I just, I, I love, I love watching them and I love when they have found a balance within themselves. I just kind of love seeing mm -hmm. it happen. Like, it's just so fascinating to me. Um, and I, I also just love extroverted thinking in general. So that's probably why. But. <laughs> um, so it's like, my thing is like, get you an INTJ, you can do both. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the, I had, there's an INTJ female group on Facebook and they turned out in force. Um, I think I had 90 something mm -hmm. INTJ wow. women in that group, um, volunteer and similar to ENTJ women, they had trouble with that, that feeling of like, when it comes to romantic part of them, they mm -hmm. have trouble, they want to be like, the stereotype is that they don't care about love. They don't care about being in a relationship with a person. Um, but a lot of them really do. They just don't know what society has deemed normal for women. They don't relate to that role. And so when they're in a relationship, I think they tend to feel a little bit like they can't measure up to society's expectations of what they should be in a relationship, which is nonsense. Like that society, like society's does not determine all things. Mm -hmm. So it's okay if a woman in a relationship, if she's an INTJ and she's in a relationship with an INFP and he's the one who kind of like helps keep all of the romance alive, I think that's perfectly fine. That's literally my <laughs> life. That's literally, so again, I'm an ENFP, but I've got that strong TE and I had to marry somebody. I, I mean, I'm not stuck with them, I love them. But I had to, I knew that I had to be with a man who would be the more romantic one and who could take the lead in that area and who could, we could kind of reverse those gender roles a little bit and that he would be okay with that. Um, I'm sure Allison, you probably don't. Yeah, I know. It's you know, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like so, like and extreme really for me. Yeah. It, it can be. Yeah. We we're going to talk about gender roles, but yeah, I've, I've run, I've run into that and the guy being able to also be comfortable with stepping into that gender role. Mm -hmm. That he, what his yep. family's going to think or, Oh my gosh. He's like, organizes all the dates and all the date i are date ideas are his because i'm busy you know working or i'd rather be yep. working <laughs> yeah. thinking about date ideas so yep. it is really fascinating 
Yes, it's hard for them, I think. Um, so that's like the, e the INTJs and the ENTJs, but also ESTJs, we mm -hmm. haven't talked about. Um, ESTJs have that similar issue. Um, mm -hmm. ESTJ women face a lot of the similar challenges ENTJ women do. Um, and something else I think the stereotype that we haven't talked about, but with those um, ENTJ and ESTJ, that pressure to be in charge of things. Yeah. And to be doing like big things because even though ESTJs the stereotype is for them still that they're managing that they're in charge mm -hmm. of things that they're running banks or they're running um you know companies and that's been really interesting to try to overcome yeah. um because ESTJs can be moms like they yeah. can be like they can, can be, be running their household and like killing it running mm -hmm. their household oh yeah they don't have to be doing but there's these stereotypes that they have to be, you know, running the corporations. CEO. And that's something else that we reject. Um, because ESTJs, again, it depends on what's in their experience, just like an ISTJ. And so if their experience is that they want to be in charge of their household, or if they want to write books, or if they want to paint, then that can be what they do. And that doesn't make them any less of an ESTJ than the one that's running like a bank. That's They're, true. Mm -hmm. And I, I've heard ESTJs, they get a really bad rap for making sure that they're more vocal about the rules and procedures and going around and at workplaces or trying to make, which I don't always think is true, but like, like Dwight on The Office, they type him yeah. ESTJ. Yeah, I thought about that sometimes. I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, that is, that's so not, again, like not the full picture. Even mm -hmm. if they are no, like that. It's very romantic. Yep. If you watch The Office, Dwight is super romantic, yeah, right? Is. Like, yeah. Super into Angela. Oh, yeah. so cute. That's true. I love their. I love them as a couple. <laughs> so much. So much. <laughs> You're so cute. Perfect. Um, yeah, that's ESTJs. Um, my ISTJ. We did that one. We did that one. Okay. Um, what about ESFJ? ESFJ and EFJ. I think those are the last two. And then ISTP. ISTP. Okay, let's do ISTP first. Okay, so for ISTPs, um, oof, I have some like major respect for ISTPs. They're one of my favorite. I say this about all types. I've called out about it so many times, but I look at types for different reasons for what I what I personally enjoy getting out of a conversation with them. And everybody does this. Everybody who interacts with anyone has got specific things that they resonate with. But ISTPs, they lead with introverted thinking, which is my child function, which is like where I like to play with that function. And then they also have extroverted sensing as their parents. That's my inferior. And I love talking to them because it's like <laughs> everything I am not, right? Like they have these things that I am not necessarily always good at. And, um, but they're still in her ego. So it's still something that she, she likes using, comes natural to her to yeah. a certain extent. They're just like, Way better at Way it. better. <laughs> um, so ISTPs I like because they are so based in reality. Uh, they do not get lost in, because so often, and Amanda can attest to this, I will spend like a year thinking about a concept and playing with this idea. She's like, oh my God, girl, get over this. Like <laughs> ISTPs, um, they have like this ability to, to play with an idea, but they do know when to let it go. Mm -hmm. They know when it's time. And so ISTPs get this reputation of being very stoic. Like Ron Swanson on Parks and Rec is an ISTP. And so they've said that they like, they buck out, they, they buck the system. They just want, like, want to be by themselves. They're kind of odd, a little bit of like, weirdos type, type of thing sometimes. Um, 
But in my experience, they're not like that. They're, they look very different. They're a huge population, 10%, so they can look different from person to person. And the ISTP women group has a lot of the same problems all the other thinker women we've talked about have, mm -hmm. um, where they feel misunderstood because they are leading with a logical process where they feel like they struggle with relationships because introverted feeling is their lowest option, it's their eighth one, where they are going throughout a world that's not made for them. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of them, but they still feel like the world's not made for them because of wow. these gender stereotypes pushed on them. And so just like all the other thinker types, they can be very, like, they can have deep emotions, mm -hmm. they can have deep conversations. But I think with them, reality really does keep them in check, and that's a huge gift. Um, I, I really personally, I like it a lot. What was that? I just, I know, I, no, I just, I love extrovert sensing. I really do. I just, thinking about reality just makes me she happy. She just gave me a look. I was like, what's I happening? <laughs> um, ENFJs and, oh, ESFJs mm -hmm. and ENFJs. Okay. Yep. So for both of these types, their, their reputations are they like drama. And they're very pushy towards people. Yeah, they're pushy. They like yeah. things in their way. Uh, they love, they live for the drama. Um, mm -hmm. Even the men, like, live for drama, apparently. That's ENFJ, right? Yeah, ENFJ and ESFJ. Yeah, both mm -hmm. of them like to live for the drama. Um, and then both of them may not be necessarily so good at, this is one of the other stereotypes, is that they're not good at office jobs, which I think is odd because most of the ENFJs and ESFJs that I know have higher-level corporate positions yep. um, because they're really good at managing Mm. managing people yes like they're good yeah. at people so like to me that seems almost like common sense like you would assume that they would be in those roles but like when you look on the internet ESFA it tells you that like, they're cheerleaders mm -hmm. <laughs> um and then ENFJs it's got them as they're called the protagonists yeah so it's always like counseling or mm -hmm. or HR or something like that but it's never like uh like a CEO like you really only see that with thinking types so mm which just isn't accurate because a thinker might be able to structure everything around them, but totally miss the mark on their people. But an ENFJ or an ESFJ could come in and just feel the room, you know, and understand right. their people in a completely different way. Yeah, that, so, I can see that being really beneficial. Mm -hmm. It is, and like the ESFJ in our lives, I talk about him all the time, but he's, we both mm -hmm. know him very well. Um, we grew up with him. Um, he's had several high-level mm -hmm. uh, corporate positions, but then he can also throw like amazing parties on the weekend. The best <laughs> he's so concerned with creating good experiences for people. I mean, he, mm -hmm. he graduated from Georgia Tech, so you don't very have, smart. Yes, yeah. a super intelligent, hard worker, not a thinker type, and a guy. So it's just the stereotypes just don't hold up mm -hmm. when any any of the sixteen types. I don't think. I think that there are reasons that they exist. But I think people who are relying too heavily on them are just really looking in the wrong places. Yeah. I completely agree. And you said uh, ENTJ was arrogant and what else? Cocky. Cocky. Okay. <laughs> arrogant, and cocky, probably bossy, pushy. Maybe pushy, yeah. bossy, manipulative. I really liked what you said about them earlier, though, or about yourself, where you can hear someone else's idea. And we actually said this in one of our videos regarding either ENTJs or extrovert thinking, mm -hmm. but where there's like this misconception that there, there's a stereotype where uh, if you're an expert, a thinker, you don't want to hear anyone else's idea. You're mm -hmm. all about your own idea. You're all about, no, that's not the case. They still want the best idea. 
And that might not be their idea, right. but they're completely open to hearing the best idea because at the end of the day, efficiency wins over their own idea. And so I, I love that you said that earlier. I wanted to point that out because that is a, a huge stereotype, I think, that like they're just closed-minded and will do whatever they want to do regardless of anyone else, my way or the highway type of thing. And that's just the case. And it, I will say a, ca a caveat to that. I thank you for saying that. I, I received that. And a, a caveat is it may seem to the other person that they're debating, or I've had people reflect to me and tell me, I felt like I was in a conflict with you to express my ideas to you. I, oh, I didn't realize that I was coming across that way. I, I wasn't aiming to position because I get so intense about delivering my message. They almost mm -hmm. feel like I'm trying to convince them when I'm not really, that's just how I feel. And they, mm -hmm. and I don't feel like they have to agree with me. And I actually really appreciate when people tell me their, their ideas and research and process of how they got there. Yeah. And, um, if you're looking at it from a cognitive function standpoint, um, I've had this discussion with an ENTJ that we, I, that Amanda and I both have worked with. Um, if there, if an ENTJ loses extra thinking and they're primarily concerned with, you know, like getting things accomplished, right. And getting these thoughts out there. I think that a natural progression for anybody on a self growth journey is to decide at some point that it is more efficient to be understanding, mm -hmm. to listen to others. So it's not that they suddenly switch and they've shifted into a different function. It's just that their extroverted thinking process has evolved to incorporate. You have to be understanding. You have to listen to others. You have to have empathy because that's the way to get things done. Mm -hmm. So like even from a motivation standpoint, I think that that, that logic that it just follows that way, that is a natural progression. That makes a lot of sense. And it's like you reading my past. <laughs> <laughs> because so is so many experiences when we also had our surveys like there there were there has been a lot of experiences the other person mirrored that to me I will have saved a lot of time if I had handled the situation I'm, I'm talking about like as a teenager mm -hmm. I didn't owe it uh, uh, well I used to think if I really tell this person how I feel they're going to be in tears just to, to iter reiterate how I express myself sometimes as a teenager or as a child. And then the mirror back, why is this person crying? Why are their feelings hurt? I'm just telling them how I think and feel about this. Understanding there's probably a better way. We can save a lot of time and people remember how you made them feel. There's a quote about that. I don't always remember what you said. And I, I have to be, I have to be, there's no other choice. I have to be aware of how I'm coming across and how I am leaving the situation with how they're feeling, how I made them or I, what I, the space I allowed them to feel, how I communicated that. And now I'll take time a lot of, if it, if it feels like it's going to be a touchy subject, I'll think it through. And with regards to their MBTI type, with regards to how they will receive the information. There's always multiple ways to say something to somebody. It may take time to think it through, but it's still, it's worth it. Mm -hmm. The evolution. 
I still may hurt their feelings or ruffle their feathers, but at least I took, I know for sure that I, that I thought it through and I did my best, <laughs> put my best yeah. foot forward to communicate it in a way that they can receive it and efficiently go fast through the process, hopefully, and move from that point with a, with a mutual understanding that that's what I want the outcome to be. We're moving forward. We have a mutual understanding. We're meeting the initiative and the goal together and we both feel good about it. Yeah, I think that also really plays into the whole like where you can use MBTI. You use it in education, you can use it in management, you can use it in literally anything that you're doing because part of the point is saying, I'm gonna manage you this way because you are you're gonna perceive what I'm saying this way. I'm gonna to talk to you this way, I'm going to teach you this way, we're going to work together this way. And with this person over here being a completely different type and having a totally different communication style and a different way to perceive what I'm saying, like I need to manage you slightly different and you slightly different. And same thing with education, having a full class of 30 plus students and teaching them all the same way all the time and expecting that all of them are going to get it at the same time and then never switching that mm -hmm. up is part of the problem. Yeah, that's true. It is nonsensical. I, I, I see where you're coming from. And, and before, as, as, we're, as we're wrapping up, I would like to touch on the gender roles and how, well, I can share out some of my personal experience because I always see everywhere on the internet that in ENTJs are men. Even when I read articles, the pronoun is usually he. He does this, he feels like this. And then for other types, uh, when I'm reading with regards to men that I've been in relationships with <laughs> or that are attracted to me, it's usually the opposite. And they feel also very misunderstood in the pronoun, the pronoun being she and the image being a woman. It, it, even if the main percentage is men, or I, I'm not sure what it is in the ENTJ, I don't think it out it's that much different. Maybe it's a little bit more men than it is women. Uh, it's I actually don't know the gender breakdown, but I do know that they are the rarest type. Okay. I didn't realize that. Even more than ENFJ? INFJ, mm -hmm. ENFJ. Oh, sorry, uh, INFJ, yeah. Uh, Susan Storm has an article from like last year, I think, where they, the official MBTI did another poll of like all of their data. And ENTJs are the rarest at like 1.2, then ENFJ at like 1.5, and then INFJ at like 1.8. So their wow. uh, NI dominants are very uncommon. Wow. And, and that's probably why there's a lot of misinformation out there. And yeah. so, it, you know, for, for a lot of my life, I felt, even, with my, even within my own family, I felt really misunderstood because. I was left, or I'll give you an example, like my brother I felt was more catered to with it emotionally, even than me sometimes. And I would ask my parents or my mom, well, why, why didn't you say X, Y, Z to me? Well, I knew you were fine. You're always fine. You're the strong one. And there was a lot of, la <laughs> a lot of labels put on me and I don't, and you don't need that. You don't. So I also had to learn to ask for what I needed. It's okay for me to ask for help. That's a whole nother side note. 
it's almost as if he was treated in a more feminine way and I was treated in a more masculine way, even though we're man and woman. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I find it super interesting. And then we attract, we tend to maybe attract the yin and yang or maybe, but as I, as I see with the ENTJ female Facebook group as well, they've learned to adapt to what, what is femininity to me? Femininity to me can look like I bake when I feel like it. I don't bake for every holiday and take cakes and pride myself on everybody loving my cake. I bake a cake because I want to. And I feel great when I bake the cake. It may not be perfect because I'm not very practiced at it. <laughs> the icing may look like crap, but I, I still... I bake the cake for myself and my family because I chose to do that and that feels good and feminine to me. So that that level of femininity looks very different than reading Pinterest to find the perfect cake and baking it, making sure it looks great and taking it to your friend's party and celebrating. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's That's like femininity from a societal standard. And that may not fit probably INTJ women as well. It may not fit uh, what, how we express our femininity. That has been a, a huge challenge in my, in my personal development. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of thinker women feel similar, mm-hmm. um, you know, regardless of where it falls. Um, so if they're thinking dominant or thinking second, I think that's predominantly, it's a big issue for them um, to feel like society is not, it's not made for them. Um, I'm, I've said this before and I will continue to say it, that everyone feels like society is not made for them. I'm, I've just come to that conclusion. I don't know that anybody's like, yes, this is my thing 100% of the time. But I do know that thinking women have a unique like there's a problem for them in society. And something that's important also is that um, for the bridge types. So like Amanda and I are both bridge types, which means that we have, everybody's a bridge type, but for the judging bridge types, which means you have feeling and thinking as your second and third function, uh, you can use them more equally. And because society pushes on women that we are supposed to be like more emotional, we may feel inclined to pull one way and to ignore the, uh, the thinking part of us because of that. But for Amanda and I, we both leaned really heavily into our thinking sides. Well, we, and we also grew up with fathers who lead with our child functions, mm-hmm. which are our thinking functions. So like my dad is an ENTJ, so I, I grew up according to his standards, and he was uh, the biggest influence in my life um, of any other person. And so I constantly feel like I do not connect on a feminine level with emotions or 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 baking or anything like that like and I I don't have any desire to really lean into it either um but it's all even though I'm not a thinker it's just because of that function that I'm using and how I how strong it is and mm-hmm. same thing with your dad yeah my dad is an ESTP so T he has introverted thinking as a second, mm-hmm. but it's his parent function. So he was parenting me and that was my child function. So like, as we grew up, it was a lot of butting heads, but I felt I needed to be a certain way because of my life situation. And I was very heavily into, into this thinking process. Okay. So 
But I have seen like for a lot of women, again, they feel this need to be emotional, to be the extroverted feeling dominance, to be the ones throwing massive Christmas parties, to the one throwing birthday parties for children, and that is their sole focus. And for a lot of women, I mean, there are a lot of thinking women, and then there are a lot of thinking women who have a judging bridge. Like ISFJs have a judging bridge. They don't have to be leading into their extroverted feeling all the time. They can be leaning into their introverted thinking process, and that can be challenging because they feel an inclination towards like, towards being a certain way, and it can be harder for them developing, develop their thinking process. So I think across the board, thinking with logical systems as it applies to women is very challenging for probably all 16 types, because even women who lead with extroverted feeling, they've got that, that introverted thinking inferior function, and then they're self-conscious about their thinking process. Mm -hmm. So that's even oh, harder. Yeah, very I can see that. I have some some of my best friends. I feel like they they're like, I'm just not good at this. I'm like, stop it! Don't say that. Right? Because <laughs> they're constantly yeah. yeah, it's horrible. They're constantly questioning their thought they're process. Not. Or you're the smart one. Tell me how to do this. I'm like, what? Stop! Yeah. Don't say that about yourself. So I I definitely yeah. see what what you're saying, where you're coming from, and you reminded me when I had my daughter's first birthday. I hosted it at my parents' house because I am horrible at it. <laughs> I'm just going to say, I'm just like, I have no idea how to decorate or what to buy today, the balloon colors, the colors of the party. My, and my mom is a genius at it. And I was like, mom, <laughs> I'll blow up all the balloons. I'll run around and I can get everything done and put everything where you tell me to put it. Just tell me where to put it because I know like I'm not gonna stand here and say I can do everything and I'm superwoman right. like I used to definitely in the past it was very hard for me to admit that but that it reminded me it I can lean in on other people around me and I do have traditionally I guess feminine women a lot of times as best friends are around me that are really good at those things and I can say I we need to host it at your house. <laughs> so I'll help you set up everything. Or my mom made the cake and I bought everything for the cake because she's also really good at decorating the, the cupcakes or the cakes. And so I helped her to prepare it, but then she put everything together. So we can always find ways to express, I think our femininity or even healthy masculinity mm -hmm. while leaning into people around us that uh, are, I guess, filling in those gaps right. in a sense. Um, I wanted to talk about that too with INFJ men, or probably ESFJ, ESFP, no, sorry, not E, ISFJ, and how they probably feel that they, they're not leaning into their brute masculinity so to speak. What, what do you, you probably have a lot to say about that. I see it yeah. a lot. I see it. So I do see it with INFJ men. Um, I'm very close to two INFJ men um, in particular, uh, very good, like super close friends on the internet. Um, and I do see that as a thing, but what I also see is just like me, they lean into their thinking process yep. because we are judging bridges. So I see for them, um, they are more inclined to feel like they can lead into their thinking process. I see this as a bigger issue for those FI dominants, like INFP men. Yes. They have a tough time with this. And oh, 
You could take it. So my husband, say a lot. <laughs> my husband is an INFP. Um, and so I, I am an ENFP. So you would think that we'd be very, very similar. And that is just not the case. So I do have the, that bridge so I can really lean into my thinking function. Um, whereas his thinking function is extroverted thinking, but it's his fourth one, his inferior one. He is very much well aware of the fact that he is not great at creating a structure or being efficient or just doing like a common sense thing. <laughs> um, and that to him for, for such a long time, um, he was the type of guy that was just completely fine with his woman being the more masculine one. I don't like the way that it's phrased, but you know what I mean? Like being, being oh, assertive. gender roles. Yeah. yeah like so assertive, making, you mean? Or? Yes. Yeah. And, okay. um, and we've known each other since we were 13. And so, um, so he was very well aware when he married me, what he was getting into. <laughs> um, but so about two years ago, we switched roles and he is now a stay at home dad and I am a manager. Um, and even for him, even for someone, and Jesse can attest to this, he is very much open to the fact that, like, a woman doesn't have to be in the kitchen or throwing parties or anything. He's very much okay with that. Um, but even still, two years into this and being the stay-at-home dad, he has so much, uh, he's, he's very self-conscious in certain ways. When If we go out and we are at a party or something and he's talking to the group of men mm -hmm. all of like, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And he's like, well, I'm a stay at home dad. And they're just like, I mean, there's just almost like a massive disconnect for him. So even though he's not self-conscious about like the fact that he isn't providing, cause he sees what he is providing for our family. It may not be financially, but in all the other ways, but still when he walks out into society, it's almost like a hard stop for him to remind him that he's not doing what he was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And INFP men in general too, um, some of the stereotypes that I see and have seen in, um, and I suppose this could also go for INFJs, INFJ men, but even beyond just, you know, marital rules, but just like society, what a view of masculinity is as a man who takes charge. INFPs can take charge. <laughs> they can take charge of situations. They have actually really think as the fourth function. They know how to, when it's a situation that they feel like they can. Mm -hmm. Um, they can be really into sports. This is something else that I see that's really controversial with MBTI. It's like they'll say that INFPs, IP, anyone can't be into sports or can't like take on those like the, like the traditional American view of what's like it can't be hunters or something mm -hmm. like that. Because, and especially since extroverted sense thinks their seven function, they really shouldn't be able to do this. I know INFPs who are good at sports, INFP men, men in particular. So they can be good at. They can do the things that men are supposed to do. It's just, they may not, it's not their natural, it may not be their natural gifts mm -hmm. to an extent. And, but I think given like the space and giving the freedom and giving the, the support that they need, they can be the ones who take charge in the situation. They can be very like, athletic. They can be very interested in men things, mm -hmm. fixing things, doing the things that they're supposed to do. Um, cognitive functions are meant to limit us. Nope. One thing I do want to say about feeler men is that um, if you have any feeler men listening to this by chance, um, is that women want you. <laughs> like women want a man who can understand where they're coming from and what they're feeling. And mm -hmm. um, so it is nothing to feel. And same thing with thinker women. There are some men out there who want a strong, 
opinionated woman. Mm -hmm. So this again should not limit you in any way. It should almost be a, a breath of fresh air, like a, a release to say, I am who I am and this is who I was created to be. And this is how I'm wired. And there's someone out there who's going to love every bit of it. Right. Get you a person who ha can do both. Because mm -hmm. everyone can do both. Everybody can be the one who's dominant and controlling and maybe like a little bit like bossy, like who mm -hmm. knows like how to do things, right? Who knows how to be the masculine person, but they can also be the one who's like, who's gentle and listens and all of those mm -hmm. good things. Like get you some, like find people can do both. Like they're not limited. And so when you learn to do both, I think it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. That's true. I agree. And are, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Really just that thing. So if you didn't learn anything from the rest, if people listening didn't learn anything, there's two things. First off, MBTI is not meant to limit you. It's mm -hmm. to help you understand. So if you are somebody who's, I'm not going to listen to MBTI because I don't want to be limited, you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is just that everybody can feel misunderstood. Everybody can feel put in a box. Everybody can feel like society is putting things on them that they do not want. The key, so like there is no exception to that. Mm -hmm. And so I think sometimes that tends to, people tend to start to hate themselves for that because they feel like society, like they feel like they just can't fit in society and they want to be someone else. They look at somebody else and like they can fit. So I would rather be like them because they fit. But like, I'm here to tell you, nobody feels like they fit 100% all of the time. So wanting to be somebody else is not the way to solve that. I think that people need to learn to love themselves and understand themselves. Mm-hmm. They're all bringing their own unique gifts. And I, I've had that conversation with my daughter a lot. <laughs> well, and I also felt like that sometimes, oh, they seem like they have it easier. And then I would get to know them and I'd realize they have everyone as you get to know them and behind closed doors, they all have their personal struggles or uh, darkness things that they're overcoming, maneuvering through, learning about themselves. It may look different than yours, but it, at the end of the day, it's good to be grateful for the gifts that we bring and who we are and be our own best friend, our own cheerleader, because it's not going to change our life or make our life better to want to be someone else or even to think that they have it better than us because mm -hmm. if we really break it down or we got to know them, we would understand that they have their own traumas darkness yeah. like i said mm -hmm. yep i completely agree and one of our little taglines is being human is hard and, and this makes it a little bit easier <laughs> yes i love it <laughs> and the best way for everyone to find you guys is on typecast heroes on mm -hmm. facebook are you on instagram as well we yes. are we're on facebook instagram reddit and discord YouTube. and then we have our youtube channel yeah. um which has a video we have our project videos on there. So if anyone wants to do the interview process or type clarification process, contact us on any of those places. Um, and then we also have a video for each function, for each cognitive function. And we also have a video for each type. Um, we have a playlist for each type. Because we what we've done is we've gone through all of the cognitive functions that the person has. So like for you as an ENTJ. And then we have a video for each of the cognitive functions in your position. So like extroverted thinking as your first and what kind of benefits and things to watch out for. Mm -hmm. And then um, introvert intuition as your second. So good things and the things to watch out for, the projections, the complexes it can create. And so we do that for all of it. It's still in the mm -hmm. process of being released. I think we've got like another two months before it's all finished. Yeah. yeah. 
but perfect. I can't wait. Of, plenty of videos up already. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Lots to watch. You can just for a long time. Nice. So thank you guys so much. And I want to do a, a quick um, screenshot after we finish recording. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us, Allison. We appreciate it.